Would you please open with me to Matthew chapter 10? Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be in verse 16. I'm sure we'll get beyond that, but you can go there. <clears throat> Matthew 10, 6, 16. Uh, if you remember, we're, we're right in the middle of Jesus uh, preparing his 12 apostles at this point to be sent out into a mission field that the Lord has for them. And uh, we discussed last time how Jesus prepared them. And that first he saved them. I think it's important that people who are sent in the name of Jesus are actually saved people. That's important. Um, that they're disciples of Jesus. That means learners of Jesus. And so um, they became disciples of Jesus. Then as they followed Jesus, Jesus showed them his heart of compassion for the lost. You know, you, you hang around someone, you get to know their heart. And as the disciples were following Jesus and watching him and kind of partnering with him, and as they were listening to his teaching, they saw his heart. They saw his compassion for the lost. Obviously his love for the father, the love the father had was in the son and his heart was for the people to draw a bride out for himself to himself. And so, um, the Lord showed, showed his disciples his heart of compassion for the lost. And it's important that we look out at the world and we look at the people around us for that same reason. And then Jesus showed him the mission field. You know, quite often we can, we can uh, go, okay, yeah, I'm a Christian now and I'm following Jesus and I'm in Bible study. We don't have a heart for what God's doing. And it's important that we'd have a heart for what God is doing as we look out into the world around us, that we would see the world the way that he sees us. And this is what Jesus did. He showed them the mission field. He said, look, it's like sheep without a shepherd. It's like a field without harvesters. I want you to see it that way. And then he does the next thing. He says, now pray. And so as God walks us along in our progression with him, we're saved and we're not only saved. He then, uh, he gives us his heart and he shows us, he shows us the mission field and then he gets us to pray for it. Right. And as we start to pray for his will to be done, then our hearts are joined in what he would have to have happened. This is the purpose of prayer. And God starts to do stuff. He starts to do stuff. You know, uh, the church is, is, is our power is in praying according to the will and then following suit. That's where, that's where it, all the power is. Pray that his will would be done and then walk according to that will. And that's when God really answers, really blesses and starts to pour out and do amazing things. And so Jesus showed him the mission field. Then he called them to pray for laborers to go in that field. And then he called them to himself to set them apart for that mission field. Now, listen, some of the things we're praying for, we're not necessarily going to be hands on the ground doing those things. That's just the reality of life. You know, but a lot of us have been called to be moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and, and just what, what God is doing in the family. That is awesome. If you're praying for that, be a part of that, do that. But then there's other things that the Lord might call you to be, to, to be an evangelist or witness or to be part of missions or to share things. You know, we need to pray through those things and then move into those things as God sets us apart and calls us into those things. I mean, this is why Christine and I are here now is because as we were praying for his will, he called us apart and set us apart for this work. And guess what? You guys as a church, we're praying for that same thing as well. And God's will happen. It was a rough ride, but we're here. We are. Amen. And so same with you too. You know, um, it's interesting. God has a mission field for you and don't think it has to be some kind of official name and capacity and all that, but he has something he has called you to and something God has put on your heart. And some of you might be going, well, you know, I've lived a lot of life. I'm kind of towards the end of life and I, I'm kind of done now. It's like, no, you see that, that breathing in and out thing you've got going on. God's not done with you yet. 
partner with him in what he has for you until he calls you home. Amen. I mean, you want to die doing what he's called you to do. You want to be, whether he, he appears before you and, and yeah, I mean, whether he calls you home or whether he, you die and go home, you know, one of the, one of the way just so anyways, he called him to himself for the work. And then God, what he does is when he calls you to something, he empowers you to do that work. Now he doesn't necessarily, you know, automatically give you everything up front, but as you step out in faith, he grows you in that call. And that's important to know because how many of you are just scared to death to do what God might call you to do? Because you look at yourself as the one empowering the, you know, the power source of what you're called to do. Me too. I get scared too. I mean, standing up in front of people, I've mentioned it before, not my favorite thing, you know, when I was younger, but as I stepped down to it and the love of God and the call of God and the heart of God grew within me, listen, that outweighed the fear you just got to move into what God's called you to do. And he empowers you and equips you to do what he's called you to do. So we get to lean into him and it's an amazing thing. And then after he gave them the authority to do what he called them to do, he told them to rely upon God's supply. He wanted them to go, listen, you're stepping out into something that not only am I going to empower empower you to do, but I'm going to provide for you to do. And so don't take a money belt. Don't do all these things. Trust me, lean on me. And so we, as, as disciples, as people stepping out into the field of God, we need to rely upon the power and the provision of the Lord and what he's calling us to do. It's not about the organizing of our armies and, and our abilities and all these types of things. It's about him. The world doesn't care about our organization. They need to see something beyond. They need to see something beyond us. They need to see Christ in us. Amen. And when we lean into him and we lean into his power, when we trust in in him, he provides and he he does things because his will is being accomplished and the world looks on. They go, there's something beyond them. Amen. Amen. That's what we want. We want them to, to, to do your works, good works in such a way so that Christ is glorified. So they, they glorify your father in heaven. And so he tells them, um, not only to, de- to d- depend on God, but then he tells them who to partner with in their ministry, man, partner with people who are worthy. Don't get, uh, yoked up with unbelievers in ministry. Don't do that. Oh, but I want to reach them. Don't partner with them, reach to them, evangelize them. Do not partner with them. Make sense. He said, and he says, and he tells them who to avoid and, and who to engage. And then we left off in Matthew 10, 14 through 15, where Jesus reminds them that they were his messengers and that those that rejected them as the apostles and their message, they would face the wrath of God on the, on the day of judgment. That's pretty crazy, huh? Jesus calls them and he gives them the authority, but he also says, listen, you're my messengers. And as people, reject you, man, it's going to be worse for them on the day of judgment than it is for Sodom and Gomorrah. That's pretty heavy stuff there. And obviously that's not, you know, um, we're not apostles, but they, they are rejecting the, uh, the authority of Jesus Christ in these men. And by the way, the church is built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ and the apostles as the foundation. Amen. And so to reject the message of the apostles is to reject the father. And that's what, Jesus was speaking there about. And so obviously I'm paraphrasing much of what we went over, but 
what we're looking at here is how Jesus prepared his disciples, his apostles at this point to go into the work that he had called them to. And so if we're wise, we wish we should probably be taking some notes because guess what? If you're breathing in and out, you might not be an apostle. I'm not an apostle. No, but mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, worker within some business, God's sending you and where he's sending you. He wants to equip you and instruct you and encourage you in the things that he would have you to do in the specific mission field and the time of life that he has placed you in. Amen. 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 Lord, we ask Lord that as we enter into this section of scripture, that you would teach us that our hearts would be open once again and that you would show us Lord, just your deep love for us, Lord. And also uh, your plan, open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us. And Lord, I, I know that there are some in here who are timid and maybe kind of withdrawn from, from that and, and just struggling to get by. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them and open their eyes and, and in the things that they're facing, God, that you would remind them of how great and wonderful you are and that you do not use the things that are all finished and polished, but use the things that are not to confound the wise. And so we just praise you for your wisdom, Lord. And we ask that you would raise us up in your power and your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. amen. And so as we pick up in verse 16 this morning, we're going to, Jesus is going to continue to instruct his apostles as they're about to be sent out And sorry. Um, what Jesus is going to focus in on is probably what we all fear. When you get sent out, guess what you're going to face? Open arms, happiness, acceptance. No, you're going to face opposition, opposition. We're going to be swimming upstream and Jesus wants his apostles to know what they are getting into. He wants them to expect opposition. So guess what? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a born again believer? Are you a, dis, are you a learner of Jesus? You might go, well, I'm not a learner like this. Are you following him? Are you learning? Are you growing? Listen, he's putting you into a path, into a field, into a family, into a situation where you are going to be his witness. Expect opposition. Expect it. Right now in your mind, in your heart, say, I am going to be opposed. I am going to be opposed. People are not going to like me. People are going to hate me. Just, just get it into your head. Like just get it into there, right? This is what, this is the reality of who we are in this world as his kids. Okay. It's not that we're provoking people and doing things that are trying to make people mad. It's by the nature of our relationship with Christ. We're going to have opposition. If they were opposed to him, they're going to be opposed to him in you. Amen. And he wants them to walk into this calling, fully knowing where the opposition will be coming from and what they will face. And if we're wise, we'll be, uh, as we go into the harvest, uh, we will ask the Lord to uh, open our eyes to what we do, who's the opposition and, and how do we deal with this? And so Jesus begins in verse 16 with a very broad statement. Behold, here's your job description. I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. 
So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. This is a broad statement he's saying here because he's going to get into specifics in just a second. So Jesus sets the stage. He says, guess what? That your sheep and I'm sending you out among wolves. I'm sending you into the fields, into the pastures to go grab my sheep and to minister to them. But guess what? There's tons of wolves. There's wolves hanging out in the pasture. There's wolves hanging out in the field. Again, uh, sheep are not the apex predators. They're not the great whites of the field. Amen. They are uh, obviously they are in need of a watchful eye of a shepherd and they are very prone to attack. And that's what Jesus wants them to know. You're sheep and I'm sending you out against people. And that's what the wolves are. Wolves are people who have a nature to devour you. That is what their nature is. They are going to eat you. They're going to kill you physically. They want to kill you. They're going to take advantage of you. They're going to do all these things. That is the nature of a wolf. Wolves are predators. And unlike sheep, it's their nature to attack sheep and kill sheep. Yes. Amen. And obviously this is the picture that Jesus is painting here, that you are being a sent, you're sent amount, uh, out among people some of whom will want to kill you and to kill the people you're ministering to. The wolf's nature is to kill sheep, obviously to prey upon them, to take advantage of them, to manipulate them, to extract from them, to deceive them and to feed on them for their own sinful desires. That's what wolves do. And that's what these wolves that they're facing will do. And as we will see in just a moment, there the wolves come in different kinds of packs. There's different wolf packs out there. And Jesus describes these wolf packs. And so with a reality that there is going to be this deadly opposition that they will face, Jesus gives them some overarching wisdom in verse 16. So this is what I'm going to do. Since that's who you are and this is what you're facing, I want you to be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Two ways that we are, and they, they were supposed to interact with the wolves around them in the culture around them. You're to be wise and innocent, wise and innocent, wise as a serpent. I guess serpent was a picture of wisdom in the ancient world. And he, and the dove is obviously a picture of innocence there. But on the one hand, Jesus wants his apostles to be clear at how they're to act among the wolves. You're to act wisely among the non-believers that you're around. This is what he's saying. Act wisely. And at the same time, you're to be doves. You're to be innocent. You're to be in the world, but not of the world. Our interactions are to be with wisdom and innocence in the world we're living in. Um, holiness is another way of putting. So wisdom and innocence was to mark their lives as they went into the fields, as they ministered to the cities, as they walked among the people. Wisdom and innocence and how they spoke and how they lived, where they went, what they did, who they partnered with, how they reacted, how, what they did when they met opposition, wisdom and innocence, wisdom and innocence. So how are we to act as we're out into the world with what? Wisdom and innocence, wisdom and innocence. Paul, get, Paul and James spoke of living wisely among unbelievers. Colossians four, five, and six. If you're taking notes, Colossians four. Verses five and six, Paul exhorts the church at Colossae. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time and let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So notice he says you're to walk in wisdom. So that's a way of life towards outsiders. That means non-believers, right? So your life is just supposed to be 
wisdom, lived in wisdom towards out, uh, outsiders. And he says, well, what does that look like? When he talks about kind of character, he talks about your time management, talks about, you know, how, how you use your time around believers, use it wisely around non-believers, use it wisely. And also in your interactions with them, how you speak with them, how you engage with them, be wise in this, how to speak. You know, not all things are profitable to say, even though you might be right. Amen. If you're trying to witness to someone, you don't need to necessarily shoot them in the foot. Some things are necessarily offensive. Amen. Cause you can't skirt around the gospel. You can't skirt around repentance and sin and all these other things. You can't do what so many people do on, you know, when they get asked and I understand why they're doing it, but you're on TV. If you see these guys on TV and they get asked, well, Hey, what about this specific issue? And they go, well, everybody's on a journey. It's like, no, you are not answering the question. They want to know if you think what they're doing is right or wrong. And I know they don't want to have that conversation because they want to appeal to people to bring them in. I understand there might be some kind of wisdom, but it's also, we got to be truth in love, truth in love, truth in love. Right. And so when we have to be wise in how we go about that. And so he says, be careful. You know, he says, walk in wisdom in your life, your time management, your speech, your conversation, and how you answer people. And then James and James three speaks about the nature of godly wisdom. What's it like? And he, 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 he uh, in James three seventeen he says, but the wisdom from above is first pure. It's peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits and impartial and sincere. So a lot of this is talking about character, character, our character around the lost live a wise, godly life in how you talk, how you live how you interact, how you use your time, all that stuff. Cause all of it's a witness. And so on the one hand, Paul's talking about how we talk and we interact and we live in our conduct. But Jesus on the other hand is saying, beware because how you do that will give a foothold into them attacking you and killing you and all this type of stuff. Don't give them an excuse. Don't give them an excuse. Walk wisely. So there's a way that the apostles were to live among the wolves in wisdom and innocence, that, that innocence and in, in being pure in an, un, in an impure culture. Obviously this is for us as well. So, so Jesus now in verse 17 starts to get specific about the various wolf packs they'd be encountered in their tactics. Jesus starts broad and then he gets specific. So beginning in verse 17, check it out. If you have your Bibles with you, it says, beware of men. <laughs> okay. Just, just stop there. Just beware of mankind. Very broad man is it. Men is mankind. Um, this is the main wolf pack that they would have to be aware of. Just beware of men in general, not males, mankind, right? Why? Uh, this is because mankind is under the sway of the evil one. If we go to Ephesians two for a second, although Paul in, in this Ephesians two, one through three, even though Paul in these verses is explaining what we've been saved out of, it's also describing what people are still stuck in the world around us, what, how the wolf packs are operating, so to speak in Ephesians two, one through three, he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the world following the prince of power, the air, the spirit that's now work of the sons of disobedience among whom you all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So while he's saying that's who you used to be, guess what? That's how people still are. Right. (laughs) And he's describing people who are following a certain path. They're following the way of the world. They're following the prince of the power of the air that's at work in the sons of disobedience. They're under his sway as we once all were. And so beware of mankind because that mankind by nature is under the sway of the enemy. They might not be going to after school, uh, you know, devil practice or whatever it is, you know, they've got going on these days. They might not be doing that, but by the nature of our fallen desire, humanity is under the sway of the enemy. We're following the path of the world and the power of the wicked one is that sons of disobedience. And obviously it's displayed in various forms and ways, but beware of men. That's the big picture there. Why? Verse 17. Cause what is going to happen at the hands of men to the d- disciples? He's saying for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and Kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles notice what mankind is going to do. They will deliver. They will flog. They will drag. (laughs) That's what's going on. This is the kind of opposition you're going to face in mankind. They will deliver you. They will uh, flog you. They will drag you. And so what, what, and this is kind of, in other words, they're going to exercise force against you. What kind of force legal force? They're going to deliver you over to the courts physical force. They're going to flog you. Uh, They'll use religious institutions in their synagogues. And so, so religious type of force, governmental force. You'll be dragged before governors. You'll be dragged before governors and Kings. And so these are kind of the various wolf packs there. But so this kind of opposition that our brothers here could expect, beware of men for these reasons. And the same goes for us, but notice that when they face these kinds of oppositions, They were to look for an opportunity. And this is so important church that every opposition we face, God will provide an opportunity for us to witness. Amen. Amen. We might not look at it. We might go, Oh man, why is someone just, you know, why is this happening? I tried to witness for Jesus and then I just got slammed. Well, you, God is going to give you an opportunity to witness for him in that moment. That's important. Whenever there's opposition, start to look for an opportunity to witness opposition, opportunity, two things you need to remember there. Notice that Jesus said that when these things happen (laughs) again, what's he, what's he want them to expect? This is going to happen to you guys. Hey, 12, guess what? Uh, When this happens to you, uh, things like this are happen to you for nine, my name's sake, you, you're going to have an opportunity when the opposition comes, you have an opportunity to witness to them about me. Now, real quickly, we need to differentiate about being dragged into those situations for reasons other than his namesake. I've known people over the years who've done things and then they use spirituality to cloak what they're just, they're just being dumb. They're criminals, Right. That's not what Jesus is saying here. That is not a good witness. But when believers go do things that are contrary to what God has called them to do, and then the government and authorities or someone starts to step in and deal with stuff. And then they go, Oh, well, it's because I'm a Christian. It's like, no, cause you are stealing, you know, or whatever it might be. So 
some people twist this to justify carnal actions. No, Jesus is saying that when all this happens for his namesake, because they hate Christ in you, and that's very important, because you bear his name and wisdom and innocence and your words testify to his light in, in their darkness. Listen, as we, as we have Christ in us, it's going to shine and it's going to cause that darkness in them to be aggravated, to be frustrated, to be exposed, right? And when that happens, when Christ is in you, when you proclaim him, when you live him, when you're operating in wisdom and innocence, it's naturally going to go against the flow with which the world is following. When they persecute you for that, for his namesake. And by the way, it's like for the family namesake, the family means something, you know, have you heard that before? Like, you know, Hey, you know, don't mess up the family name kind of a thing. Well, the idea here is his namesake, all that he represents all that he is, you know, it's not, don't take God's name in vain. It's don't live a life that it's in contrary to who God is. And that includes talking, using his name in disrespectful ways, right? It's don't use his name in vain. Don't live a life contrary to whom you proclaim to be. Right. That's kind of the bigger picture of this whole thing. And so when you are living that life, the life that is Christ-like, and these things start to happen to you for my name's sake, you're going to get persecuted, but look for the opportunity in first Peter four, 12 through 16. He says regarding not doing um, bad things. He says, beloved, beloved, do not be, um, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, this is standard protocol for believers. You're going to face suffering and persecution, all these things, but rejoice in so far much as you share Christ's sufferings that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of God, spirit of uh, the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. But let none of you verse 15 suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler right? What we talked about before, not suffering for dumb things. Yet, if anyone suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. It is for his name that we're to suffer. Amen. So Jesus wanted them to know the opposition they faced would become an opportunity to witness before earthly powers. Listen, you have opportunities in the midst of your opposition to witness for Jesus in your workplace, for witness for Jesus in your family, to witness for Jesus, wherever you might be. Remember that expect it. And we must remember that in those moments of opposition to pray and to look for opportunities, pray and look for opportunities. That's hard, but pray and look, how many of you just get mad? How many of you get discouraged? How many of you just want to go in a hole? How many of you just withdraw, lift your heads, pray and say, okay, God, what is the opportunity you're putting for before me now? How can I act in wisdom and innocence? How may I speak or not speak? What will I do to glorify you in this moment, in this situation? Amen. Yeah. So Jesus wanted to be aware of men. And then Jesus lets them know what to do in those circumstances when they face that, right? Uh, verse 19, when they deliver you over, don't be anxious about how you're to speak or what you're to say for you are to say what will, uh, sorry, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. Verse 20, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of the father speaking through you. God's ways are not our ways. 
You know, how, how is God going to witness to the governors and, and to all these people in, in charge? I mean, how many of you just like walk up to the governor and go, Hey, I'd like a, I'd like an opportunity to talk to you. You know, we're just not going to talk. You know, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Yeah. Okay. See ya. You know, so how does God often work? Well, his way seems to be through suffering, but I don't want to sign up for that. Oh, well, that's a bummer. Didn't I just tell you you're going to face opposition and then you're going to get opposition, but it'll be an opportunity for a witness for my namesake in those circumstances. And so God's method through suffering opposition creates opportunity to glorify God. Paul in the latter half of the book of acts guys, this is just a fantastic read in your free time, which I know you have so much of read acts 21 through the end of acts. Just read it. It's Paul's journey about this very thing. In Acts 21, Paul's in Jerusalem and a riot starts. I won't tell you all the backstory, but a riot starts. The Romans step in and Paul's detained and and they let him address the crowd in chapter 22. And then he testifies of Jesus. (laughs) And guess what happens? Uh, They freak out. And so they arrest Paul. And to, you know, protect him or pull him back or find out what's going on. They arrest Paul. And in chapter 23, he's brought before the Roman Roman tribune there in, in, in Jerusalem. And guess what Paul does in, in front of the Roman tribune? He witnesses about Jesus. What do you know? And he testifies of Jesus. And then there's a plot to kill Paul. And he finds out through some relative and all that type of stuff. Um, and, and then, so he is, he is, brought out to Caesarea Philippi in the, in the dead of night and all this stuff or Caesarea. Actually, he's brought out to Caesarea. And, and then in chapter 23, he's brought before the governor Felix there. And guess what Paul does in front of Felix? He testifies of Jesus. Now he's, he's going to hang out in Caesarea for two years. And so he's sitting there in his jail cell, you know, he's praying, probably writing some letters, whatever it might be. And then the governor calls him out every now and then to talk to him. And he just, whenever he gets in front of him, he goes, Hey, God, tell you about Jesus. He starts telling him about Jesus. He's like, Oh man, put him back in the jail. But man, there's something interesting about this guy. What is it about him? Come back out here. I want to talk to you. Tell us about Jesus. Puts him back in jail. And this is Paul. Like this is his life. Right. Then in chapter five, uh, 25 Festus takes over for Felix and Festus and his wife. And there's some other people there. And guess what Paul does in front of Festus. He doesn't want to witness anymore. He's done with it. No, he, he testifies of Jesus. He gives his testimony, shares about what God did and all this stuff. And, 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 and then Festus invites Agrippa and his wife to hear Paul. He's just so intrigued by him. He goes, hey, you got to hear this guy. And so he pulled Paul out of prison again. And he sit there and he goes, okay, well, and he starts testifying about Jesus again. And I think one of them is like, man, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul just keeps witnessing about Jesus in all these difficult circumstances. He's brought before the Kings and the governors and all this stuff. And he testifies. And then finally, Paul, he, he, he appeals to Rome. And so the rest of the story of Acts is him going to Rome and you see how he testifies as centurion. He testifies on Crete. Then he finally gets brought there and it kind of closes the story. But what we don't see is that what happens in all the letters that while he's in prison, he is witnessing to prisoners and prison guards. And then while he's in prison, he witnesses to the house of Caesar and those in the house of Caesar come to the Lord. And we know that in the letters. Then also those in the high ranking military come to the Lord as Paul is chained with these military guards and all these types of things. Listen, opposition provides opportunity. If you're in tune with Jesus, 
So who are you chained to at work? What's God? God chained you with them. Like start sharing the Lord with them at an opportunity. Oh, but I might not be liked or I might go against code or I might do this or that. Listen, be led by the spirit at any moment of given time. You are free to disobey human laws as you are following the spirit of Christ. And I'm not saying that in a very flippant way. When the Lord tells you to share him, share him when he tells you to share him. Amen. Overruled earthly powers because he's called you to that moment. Obviously wisdom and innocence, wisdom and innocence, right? But there's a time when you know, God is calling you to share. Don't deny the Lord. Don't fear men, fear God. And that's where Paul's go, where Matthew or Jesus is going here. But anyways, we see this, the whole point being that he told the apostles what would happen to them. The opposition would come, but God use that as an opportunity. And then, um, he says, don't worry about what you're going to say. How many of you are worried about what you're going to say? Be in tune with him. Let his word be in you and let God use you. It's not that you can't think about things or what you might say about a person and pray on stuff. It's not saying we're all wild west. We study, we show ourselves approved. We're abiding in the vine and we just let the spirit work in and through us in circumstances. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes. Amen. So trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. He'll use you. And so he goes, he just says, Hey, here's the various wolf packs. You've got men, religion, the legal system, government. And here's the most fun of all verse 21 family brother will deliver brother over to death and the father, his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You know, Jesus says in verse 36, which we'll get to next week, a person's enemies will be those in his own household. Yikes. And so as Jewish men following the Lord Jesus, following the way they're going to be ostracized. They're going to be excommunicated from the culture there. They're going to be cast out. But Jesus goes beyond that and says, listen, that's not just what's coming for you you'll be put to death. And not only you'll be put to death, followers of Jesus will be put to death. Those who follow after him. But how is that going to happen by your own family, by your own family? I know we sing peace on earth and goodwill towards men at Christmas time. But if you just keep reading the chapter, Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. It doesn't sound like peace. It's peace and unity peace in the truth, peace in the Lord. That's where the peace is. It's hard stuff. Sheep and goat situation. And I know many of you struggled with it, but expect opposition and also use that opposition to as an opportunity. But here, man, this wolf pack is serious. It's your own family. Own, your own family would be, persecuting believers within your own family. By the way, one of the major writers of the new Testament, Saul of Tarsus, our beloved brother, Paul was at the spearhead of going and finding and seeking people who were a part of the way believers and grabbing those family members who were being 
called out by other family members, grabbing them, pulling them out and imprisoning them, executing them, killing them. That's what he was doing. All thinking he was doing God's will. Christ brought division to the fundamental levels of society. This is what Jesus did. And he is doing, he is dividing sheep from the goats. And there are those who are his and those who are not. And he has continued this to this day. And so because of their hatred of Christ, family members would deliver the family members who were believers over to death. Now, if we're reading this maybe 20 years ago, are we just going, whatever? Boy, that's sad. That's happening in somewhere else. But are, isn't the culture ready for this? Sadly, I don't want to say, you know, I'm not trying to be, I'm just trying to be realist here. It looks like, man, people hate Jesus. They hate Jesus. They might not directly hate Jesus, but they're definitely under the sway and the power of the enemy and hate is in their hearts and, and, and they hate the light. This is what's going on in our society. They hate the light and they hate those who are his because this is because they love darkness and they will not come to the light. Their conscience has been seared. Their moral compass is magnetized to the evil one. Their conscience, the right and wrong that God put in them has been flipped. And so their right is wrong and wrong is right. And so their moral compass, just like Paul is thinking they're doing the right thing. Make sense. Paul was thinking he was doing the right thing. He thinks he was glorifying God by killing Christians. Flip that around. We've got a society today that thinks that those who don't see and act and do whatever are totally, absolutely immoral and wrong. And so we are being looked upon as believers who believe that Jesus is the Christ. A man is a man and a woman is a woman and marriage is between a man and a woman and sex outside of marriage is wrong. And homosexuality is an abomination, all these things and, and all this kind of stuff, these sexual identity issues and all this kind of stuff that we are unloving evil and need to be eradicated from every part of society. That is the spirit that is at work in our culture right now. And it's indoctrinated in our children, in our education system to and it's coming up in every facet of society. And so it's not going to get easier and, and lighter for everybody. And you're just part of the old ignorant way. Anti-foundationalism. You can read about all this stuff. No, man. We love Jesus. And he is the truth and he is the light. And we stand in the truth and we stand in the light. Come. <laughs> Repent. Turn and we don't muddy the waters and we stand for truth and we're willing to suffer for it. And when we suffer, there's an opportunity to again, share the light, but it has to be done in a spirit of wisdom and, and God's teaching us on all that stuff. But I'm just saying, just, just like the religious Jews who thought they were doing the bidding of God by killing Christians back then, the enemy is so clever and our hearts are so deceitful as mankind that we're becoming so hardened as a culture that the persecution cannot help but rise up. That's what's going to happen. Expect it. 
expect it. And so family members will give over family members to death, to the legal system, to whatever, whatever they can do. So mankind, religion, legal system, government, and family living among the wolves. And by the way, these are all God given institutions. We have to know that this is, this is man in rebellion towards God. Listen, God created the family and the family is totally under attack. What it is, it's identity, how God made it. It is absolutely under attack. It's in rebellion government. God given by government. There's man is in rebellion. We see how that revelation ladies, you're going to get into it here soon. It's going to go not so good where the world is going to organize itself in rebellion towards God as it did in Babel and all that kind of stuff. But you just keep going. So you've got religions and you've got, you've got family, you've got the government and you've got the church or you've got religion, all these things, not that God institutes false religion, but even the church has become hardened to Jesus Christ. And we've got people in leadership that should never be in there. I'm not judging, but I'm just saying when you have institutions that are promoting and doing things that that Jesus died to save us from, and you're glorifying that leadership. What in the world is that? You know? And so Mankind, religion, legal system, government, and family. We've seen all this. This is, this is what's going to happen. This is what happened to them and is going to happen to believers. And it is happening to believers all around the world right now. We've been relatively pulled away from that. Verse 22, and, and, and you will be hated. Here's the, he comes back to sum it up again. And, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Oh, sign me up. How'd you like that job description? Everybody you're going to be hated by all. What's he saying by all? Listen, the general flow is going to be against you. Why? Because the general flow is against Christ. Sign me up for his name's sake. It says they're going to be hated for all for my name's sake. And so there's this universal opposition to them because they are his verse 22. You hated for my name's sake, but here's the promise. But the one who endures to the end will be saved and we'll end here. The one who endures to the end will be saved. The end being death. That's what he's saying. You're going to die. I think all of them did. And of his Judas was a betrayer. We know that Jesus knew that in the beginning, but all of them died except for John. Apparently church history says they were all martyred. We, I read that when I read their names, Fox's book of martyrs a couple weeks ago. But he says, those who endure to the end will be saved. And this is important to understand about our salvation. What is Jesus saying here? Salvation in scripture is, is a package deal with three major parts. And this is what we need to know about how, how, how the Lord packages scripture. It's like, oh, come to Jesus, believe in Jesus and you're saved. Yes. Amen. You are saved, but that's not all of salvation. That's not how the Bible illustrates salvation. We're saved when we believe upon Jesus. That's justification. We're justified, made just as if we never sinned. In other words, we're saved from the penalty of sin. When you believe in Jesus, you're saved from the penalty of sin. Amen. But what happens is Christianity says, stop, live how you want. When the Bible goes, now be sanctified. As you continue to believe, because the seed that is in you is now sprouting and growing. 
you're now being sanctified. The Holy spirit comes in and, 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 and starts to work in you so that the power of sin, so you're saved from the penalty. Now it's the power of sin that God is working. The power of sin in your life becomes less and less and less as, as a grip on you as the Holy spirit grows you into Christ likeness and maturity. Well, how long does that take? Well, until the last part of your salvation, which is when you die, when you're glorified, because at that moment, you'll actually be fully saved. I don't want to say fully saved. How, how can you say that? That's like heresy. So what I'm saying is like what he began, he will be faithful to complete And the end of your salvation ends with your death, or he comes and changes you in the moment of twinkling an eye. Amen. And you are transformed and you are in his presence and you are no longer in the presence of sin. So you're saved from the power uh, from the penalty of sin, the power of sin in the presence of sin. That's just, that's a glorification. Christianese words, justification, sanctification, glorification. That's salvation, big picture. And it's all in Christ and he does it. Amen. So he's saying they're going to kill you, but you'll be saved. Amen. Why? Cause I got you. Don't worry about them. This is what he's going to roll into you. Don't worry about who can kill your body. Worry about the one who can take your body and soul and throw you into hell. That's the one you need to fear. Put your fear in its place. Amen. And how many of us need to hear that this day? You got to get that in your heart. We've got to get that as a church in our heart, man. Opposition provides opportunity and fear needs to be put in its right place. Fear God, not men. And it's like fear. I know perfect love casts out fear, but the word for fear is fear. I've tried to justify it in the past. It's just flat out fear. God revere. Yes, but also fear. Like there is a scary element to God. Amen. And when you're walking tight and close with him, man, there is no fear. <laughs> right. But when you're not man, there's something to fear. Right? It's just the way it works in our hearts. God wants all of us. And I don't know how to, he puts that in it. So justification, sanctification, glorification, verse 23. So when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next for truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the son of man comes. In other words, this is what's going to be happening until the end of time. And a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his masters enough for the disciples to be like his teacher and a servant like his masters. If they call the master of the house bills above, how much more will they malign those of his household household? Jesus says in John 15, man, if they hated me, they, they're going to hate you. Expect it. Amen. And so, um, so he says in verse 26, have no fear of them. And we'll get into that next week. So have no fear of them. Have no fear. Now, really quickly, as we, as we end, as you look at the mission field, God's called you to, is there a little bit of fear going on? Do you fear people? Do you fear witnessing? Do you fear what they might do or the repercussions on your job or all this kind of stuff? What does it say? Have no fear of them. Don't fear. This isn't dishonor, disrespect. This is don't fear them. Fear God. Follow the Lord. He'll take care of you. He'll lead you. He'll provide for you. He'll do what he needs to do in your life. Trust him, protect him. I mean, trust him and lean on him. Amen. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these verses here. And I just want to thank you, God, that you're, 
You're calling us into your field. Lord, take our eyes once again off of all the accoutrements and distractions that we have in front of us, God, and put them on the things that really matter. Lord, our, our souls kind of play whack-a-mole with all the junk around us. And we think that we can go down this road and that road and all these things and that our soul will be satisfied. There's just nothing like you, Lord. And the satisfaction your, your spirit brings in our hearts when we're tied to you and we're following you and operating in your power and your joy. So bring that to each member here, Lord, each one who is yours. And I pray that those who are on the outside looking in, I want you to know that Jesus died for you. He died that you would come to him and know him fully, repent, turn from your sin, and he will cleanse you and forgive you and give you his life. And he will clean you up and he will take you home in his time. But between now and then, he has a plan. And so, Lord, we just pray, Lord, that as your church, as those called out ones, we would glorify you in the time we have here. And so all glory and power to you. Amen.